0: Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast, the show for all things real food and the processes that bring it to the table. As always, I'm your host Paul DeWieland and the following is a solo sort all about garlic mustard, one of the most widespread edible plants here in North America and in many other parts of the world. Some of the questions I will try to answer in this episode are what is garlic mustard, where does it grow? where is it from, you know, what, what's kind of its history, how do we harvest it, and finally, how do we use it in the kitchen. Garlic mustard is actually one of the first wild edibles that I learned about, and my very first time foraging for it was actually when I still lived in Germany. Back then, I, I used it to make garlic herb butter, which I absolutely love to melt over some freshly grilled venison backstrap. Actually, my mouth is uh, watering just from thinking about it right now. But, you know, I'll share a lot more ways to use this plant as food here throughout this episode. So stay tuned. I also want to announce that I'm now working together with the incredible people at Ancestral Supplements. They are an awesome small business based in Texas. And what they do is they manufacture and sell high quality supplements made from animal organs. As I've talked about many times in the podcast, we have eaten animal organs for the most part of our human evolution. Our ancestors were eating the entire animal, not just the muscle meat that most of us are eating today. They ate the organs, the blood, the fat, and even the connective tissue. All these parts of the animal are incredibly nutrient-dense, and your body can easily absorb the vitamins and minerals in them. And that's exactly why I try to get organ meats into my diet as much as possible. But unfortunately, with our modern food system, it's often very hard to get our hands on some quality organ meats. If you're hunting and fishing, that's one way to get your hands on quality organ meats like liver and heart. But unless you have a local butcher or farmer that sells them directly to you, you probably have a hard time getting those into your diet. That's why I think Ancestral Supplements is doing such a great job. They create all of their supplements with organs that are sourced from New Zealand. The animals are pasture-raised, grass-fed, they live a really good life, and the way they make these supplements really ensures that the nutrients don't get destroyed. Ancestral Supplements are a really convenient way to get your hands on the nutrients in the quality organ meats, and it's especially great if you travel a lot. If you're interested, definitely check out their products at www.ancestralsupplements.com. If you order, consider using my referral link, which you will find in the podcast show notes. And by using this code, you're also going to support the podcast, which you know allows me to keep pumping out new episodes in the future. So definitely check them out. This is the Year of Plenty podcast. If you enjoy it, subscribe on whichever platform you use to listen. Review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts. Also, support it by making a donation on Patreon with the link in the show notes. Patreon is an awesome service that allows you to help me create the show with donations as little as $2 a month, and it's based on the patronage system that was very popular during the ancient empires and the Middle Ages. Back then, kings and queens alike used the patronage system to take creatives under their wing and support them in exchange for value. If you learned something new from this episode, consider sharing it with others or simply connect with me on Instagram, at Poldi That is at P-O-L-D-I-W-I-E-L-A-N-D. All right, let's get into this episode. First of all, what is garlic mustard? Well, garlic mustard is a plant that grows in the wild. Its scientific name is Aliaria petiolata. Other names are hedge garlic, sauce alone, and jack-by-the-hedge. It's also not traditionally related to our cruciferous vegetable that are in the brassica family, like cauliflower, brussels sprouts, broccoli, kale, and so on. And, you know, it's one of the most widespread wild edible plants out there, like I was saying at the beginning. Garlic mustard is also a biennial, and it looks very similar to other mustard plants out there. Now, if you don't know what a biennial plant is, well, it's simply a plant that sends up leaves in the first year and then typically flowers in the second so in its first year, it actually overwinters, even here in Wisconsin. And at this stage, the plant really hangs out as a small rosette of basal leaves on long stalks near the ground. So you're going to find it on the forest floor usually. Also, these first-year leaves, you know, they're, they're as broad as they're long, and they look very different from the second-year leaves. They're much more round. Now, once the plant does get into the second year, it grows tall stalks that will bear flowers. And at this stage, you know, it can grow several feet tall. Um, Most of the ones I see are usually two or four feet, I would say. And the stalk will have alternate leaves on it, which are much more triangular with large teeth on the margin. But, you know, you often still see the broader uh, first-year leaves at the bottom of the stalk. So kind of imagine if once the plant is in its second year, as as you go up the stalk, you're going to go from first-year leaves that are more on the bottom, they're roundish, kidney-shaped, heart-shaped, whatever you want to call it, and as you go up the stem, they're going to get much more triangular, pointy, and have a lot more, you know, coarser or, or, or more defined teeth on the margins. So that's something to look out for. Now, the stalk is smooth and solid on the inside. So if you cut it in half and you take a cross section, it's not going to be hollow. So that's one thing to watch out for when you're trying to identify it. Also, in the second year, garlic mustard starts growing really early in the year. And, you know, it'll actually flower by late spring or early summer. So it's a very, very fast-growing plant. The flowers it bears are small and white, and they have about four petals. And in summer, you know, as we progress through summer, after it flowers, garlic mustard builds these green seed pods that are about one to two inches long. And then inside of these pods, you're going to find small seeds. So next time you're out there, you know, once you identify a garlic mustard plant, just kind of follow it through the season and kind of see how it changes, you know, from its first year basil leaves that are on the ground to the plant, you know, on a long stalk with flowers and eventually seed pots on it. Actually, you know, I recommend that people do that with every new plant or new species that they identify. It's just always good to see how, you know, how it changes throughout the year. Now, every part of the plant has a garlicky mustard smell, when you pick the plant, you will smell this, which I, I like doing that. You know, some people don't like being engulfed in a cloud of garlic. I do. I love cooking with garlic. So something I'm actually looking forward to every time I go out to pick some garlic mustard, to be honest. And, you know, this is also why it's been used in cooking by humans for a long, long time. on that in a bit, though. Garlic mustard is super easy to spot once you see a couple pictures or videos of it. So I wouldn't worry too much about the identification part. Just check out the episode description for some links. I will also have pictures on my Instagram, which is at Wheeland. So go follow me there and feel free to send me any messages or, you know, any questions. I will do my best to help out. But honestly, most likely you have probably walked past this plant many times and seen it already. Here in Wisconsin, it literally grows everywhere. According to the USDA, it can be found in many, many states here in the US and also in some areas in Canada. So just check out the USDA map in the description and see if it grows in your region, but most likely it will. Now what it really likes to grow in are shady areas. This is a quite shade tolerant plant. And you know you might also find it in full sun, I have before, but usually you know you wanna to go to an area that's more shady. You also want to look for disturbed areas, edges of woods, trails, along creeks, side of roads, lawns, gardens. I mean, this plant can grow in many, many different places, and that's why it's so easily found. And guess what? Rarely will you find a single plant. Most likely, you will find hundreds of them all growing in a big old patch. And the only thing it doesn't seem to like are acidic soils, so soils where there are a lot of coniferous trees like spruce, pine, or fir. There's probably not going to be a ton of garlic mustard near, but you know, like I was saying, this plant is everywhere and I have seen it also growing right next to some spruce trees. So just go out there. If you have garlic mustard in your region, you're bound to find some. Actually, the fact that it can thrive in so many different areas is why garlic mustard is considered a nuisance here in North America. It's recognized as one of the most invasive plants of forests in eastern U.S. and southern Canada. As I said, it comes up early in the spring before many, many other plants, and it's super aggressive. Overall, it's a huge threat to native plants and mushroom species. Why? Well, because once it gets going, it really begins to dominate the forest floor. I've seen understories of forests that are nothing but garlic mustard, literally. It's really eerie to look at because it reminds me of like a monoculture cornfield. You know, almost like someone is intentionally growing only garlic mustard and making sure that nothing else can grow around it. And it actually is almost exactly that. Just that garlic mustard seems to be its own cultivator or a farmer in a way. Not only does it compete for resources and block out a ton of sunlight, But there's a good amount of research suggesting that it is a allelopathic plant. This means that garlic mustard produces compounds that are actually negatively affecting native plants, mushrooms, and microbes in the area around it. So by releasing these compounds, it could potentially disrupt the mutually beneficial relationships between these native species. And this can cause some serious damage, of course, which is why it's believed that garlic mustard can dominate so many other plants that grow near the ground because of this uh, allelopathic potential that it has. Now, the research on garlic mustard as an allelopathic plant is pretty interesting, but definitely more needs to be done for sure because I found a great review of garlic mustard as a allelopathic plant by Don Cipollini, and in this review, he looks at many different studies about this potential ability of garlic mustard to release these chemicals to mess with native communities and their ability to thrive. And in the review, he says that the literature reveals evidence for and against this claim. So the problem is that in these studies, the conclusions could be negatively affected by a bunch of different factors, such as, you know, the experimental approaches taken, the native species that were observed, and a bunch of other environmental factors. And honestly I think this is pretty interesting. I've always thought about you know what if garlic mustard affects morel mushrooms um because one of my top morel hunting spots has just become absolutely overrun with garlic mustard is it's actually pretty you know sad to see. It really sucks. But you know I can't do much about it. Uh it's clear that garlic mustard is a super ing- aggressive invader and that it's bound to change native landscapes dramatically over the long term. As sad as that sounds, we can't really do much about it. In doing research for this episode, I read uh, the book Nature's Garden by a legendary forager, Sam Thayer, and he called it the wildflower to end all wildflowers. Wow, that's powerful. And that's actually why a lot of foragers hate garlic mustard, because it is such a threat to native species. But thank God it is edible, so you know at least it has one good use. But before we talk about how it's used in the kitchen and how to harvest it and all that, let's talk a little bit about how this plant got here to North America in the first place. What is some of the history behind it? Well, it's actually from Europe, and in Europe it's a native plant. So over there it does not thrive as uncontrolled as it does here in North America. It has its place in the native ecosystem. But I gotta say, I do see more and more of it in my region in Germany every time I visit and hunt out there. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just, you know, because I've been foraging for it more now that I just notice it faster than I used to. Uh, But yeah, just an interesting observation on my side. Now, it is believed that garlic mustard was actually brought to the US by European settlers in the 1800s. And you know, There is actual evidence to back up that this plant was first introduced in the 1800s. According to the book Alien Species in North America and Hawaii by George W. Cox, the first record of this plant appears on Long Island in New York in 1868. Now, there were a ton of other sources that had the same fact. And, you know, we got to remember this is the first time it was written down. But who knows? It might even be, you know way older than that, or it might have been introduced to North America way before that, and then just no one took a record of it. But there's a study by Durak et al., published in the Journal of Molecular Ecology in 2005, and they looked at the genetic makeup of garlic mustard plants here in North America, and their findings were pretty interesting. Their findings suggest that the species was probably introduced at numerous points in time. Also, the most probable area where it originated from are the British Isles, Northern and Central Europe. We do know that in Europe, the plant has been used as flavoring and medicine for a long, long time. There are some accounts of it in medieval herbology books, but you know the story of humans using garlic mustard is probably much, much older. I found another scientific article by Saul et al. called Phytoliths in Pottery Reveal the Use of Spice in European Prehistoric Cuisine. and This is uh, from 2013. So what these researchers did, they looked at 6,000-year-old prehistoric pottery from northern Europe that was found around the Baltic Sea, and I always think it's so amazing that we do have some preserved, you know, cooking pots and whatnot, or, or cooking utensils from that far back. That's just so crazy to me. But anyway, the pots had carbonized food deposits in them, and the researchers compared these preserved plant materials to over 120 European and Asian species, and found that they were consistent with those found in modern garlic mustard seeds. So this means that people might have used garlic mustard as a spice for thousands of years. How cool is that? I think that's pretty cool. Okay, now that we know where it came from, let's look at why this is such an awesome wild edible to forage for and how you can harvest it. But first, quick disclaimer here: I am not responsible for what you put in your mouth and eat. Please be safe. Anytime you go out to forage for wild edibles and you try to use them as food, please, please, please make sure you're identifying them correctly. I know you're smart, so enough said. Let's move on. The obvious reason why this is such an awesome plant to forage for is that it's tasty, easy to find, and super abundant. Literally, all it takes is for you to find one garlic mustard patch and a couple of minutes. They're so easy to pull out of the ground that you can harvest a ton of them you know, within like a short amount of time. But there's more. Garlic mustard is quite a nutritious plant, actually. It has a diversity of vitamins and minerals. And I found a scientific paper published by Kavros et al. in the Canadian Journal of Plant Science in 1979. So not the most recent study, I know. But, you know, still very, very interesting stuff. The paper actually states that the greatest potential of garlic mustard may be as a green vegetable And that other researchers have shown that the leaves in young shoot prior to flowering have a huge amount of vitamin C. Actually, on a weight basis, there's more vitamin C in it than oranges. And they also reported in this paper that the leaves at all times of the year have even more vitamin A than spinach, which is known for its high vitamin A content compared to a lot of other common vegetables. So I thought that was pretty gnarly, you know. If you want vitamin C and vitamin A, go eat some garlic mustard. Now, there's one important thing I want to bring to your attention. Garlic mustard actually has a tiny amount of cyanide in it. You're probably thinking, what the heck, Polly? Cyanide? Why the fuck would anyone eat it? Well, that's obviously your decision to make. But actually, there's several other veggies that we eat commonly that have trace amounts of cyanide in them. So the cyanide comes in small amounts and acts more like a defense mechanism against herbivores or insects or anything that's really trying to eat the plant. I had no idea about this before doing the research and I've been eating this plant for a while, so I'm not worried at all. I would have to eat a crazy amount of garlic mustard to get cyanide poisoning from it, but just to be safe, I won't eat it every single day. You know, just a couple times a week in the spring is more like it. I've also read that blanching the plant and then removing the water can can take care of some of that cyanide in it. So that's another thing to consider if you're using it as food. I'm not trying to scare anyone or discourage anyone from eating garlic mustard. This is just something, you know, I thought was interesting and I thought it was important to share with you guys in this episode. All right, let's talk more about harvesting this plant and how to use it in the kitchen because that's why you're probably listening to this. Now, you can eat the plant in the first year and the second year, but I think it has a lot more potential in its second year because it just provides a lot more leaves and, and other edible parts for you. The leaves are what I've eaten the most, honestly, and I like them a lot. They usually have a very pleasant, garlicky taste to them and, and some sweetness as well. But unfortunately, there is also a bitter aftertaste that some people don't like at all. I've come to find that the flavor of the leaves really depends on age of the plant and the location. You know, actually, a lot of foragers say that it's better to get the leaves from plants that grow into shade and not the ones that are really exposed to sunlight, or to a lot of sunlight, um, the reason being that the ones in the shade are supposed to be less bitter. I have found this to be the case sometimes, but it's not a for sure. For me, it's really all location and area. Every time I see a garlic mustard plant and I'm trying to forage for it, I'll just sample a couple leaves, and you know sometimes they're bitter and sometimes they're not at all. Like yesterday. I just found some garlic mustard, and I tried the leaves, and they were super sweet, and there was no bitterness, so I marked the spot instantly on Onyx, which is like a map service that I use, um, and, you know, I'll be coming back to you there next year, and hopefully they'll be just as sweet as they were yesterday. Also, I don't really mess with the plant when it's in its first stage, first year stage. Um, at this point, you know, you're only going to get a couple leaves, and they're much stronger Almost always super bitter, so I just don't really care for them. Now, what can you do with the leaves? Well, the leaves can be eaten raw. You know, just throw them in a salad or on top of a sandwich. They're also commonly used as flavoring in sauces, soups, or stews and whatnot. But I gotta say, my favorite way to use the leaves are in the spring. And this is when I will add them to ram pesto. You know, ramps are, are also called wild leek. And I do that because you know, ramps are really susceptible to over-harvesting. And by adding garlic mustard, I still get that garlicky flavor in there, but I don't have to use as many ramp leaves. So I can just get a couple ramp leaves, and make most of it garlic mustard. So in this way, I'm kind of using it like a filler in the pesto. So I think that's a great way to utilize it. Another interesting way to use the leaves is to dry them. This is one way to preserve them, and then you can crush them up and use them like any other dried herb that you would use in your cooking. However, you might lose some flavor by doing this, so just watch out for that. Now, what I'm really trying to do this year is add some garlic mustard leaves to wild game sausage. I think that would add a really pleasant, garlicky flavor to them. But it's not just the leaves that you can eat. Every part of the plant is edible. What a lot of people like to do is get the tender part of the young stalk, which is a lot milder than the leaves. These are usually called shoots. The shoots have a similar feel to asparagus in texture, you know, but they're much thinner and have a different taste, of course. So if you're trying to harvest some young shoots of the garlic mustard plant, what it's going to look like, you know, it's, it's literally just the top part of the stalk, maybe like eight inches or so. Uh, some leaves are going to be on there. And what you're going to see on top is a green flower head that almost looks like a tiny head of broccoli. So all you have to really do is just break off the shoot before the white flowers appear, because that's the best time to harvest it, honestly. And usually this happens around, you know, early to mid-spring. There's a lot you can do with these shoots, you know. Some people like to just eat the stalk or the shoot by itself, and then they take off the leaves in that little green flower head. Some people like to keep all that on. You know, it's really up to you how you like to use it. But in the episode description, you will find a link to a steamed garlic mustard shoot recipe by forager and chef Alan Burgo. So definitely check that out. Another part of the plant that a lot of people eat is the root. I've never had it, honestly, but from what I've learned about it, the root can have a horseradish-like flavor, which is strongest during the winter months. So that's the time to get this root when, you know, once it gets cold. Also, the root can be quite fibrous, so you're going to have to cut off some of the more woody parts, then you know, just puree it in a food processor and add all the necessary ingredients. Again, there's another recipe in the episode description. It's a recipe for wild style horseradish that I found on botanicalartspress.com. So definitely check that one out as well. So now we've talked about eating the leaves, eating the stalk or shoot and the roots, but you can also use the seeds. Garlic mustard seeds are tiny, but you can collect a lot of them from a single patch. And they're often used to make mustard, which believe it or not, is actually super easy to make at home. And then also what people do with the seeds, they they sprout them, you know, they sprout them like broccoli seeds or whatnot. As you can see, there is a ton of different ways to use garlic mustard. All it really takes is a simple Google search and you'll find many different recipes. But you know, I challenge you, just be creative, keep it simple, and you're bound to make something delicious out of this plant, I promise you. If you're a garlic lover, you're gonna like garlic mustard. Overall, I am a huge fan of garlic mustard as a food, but you know... Like many other foragers, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I do not like its aggressiveness and, you know, its potential as an invader of native communities. It's actually pretty ridiculous how fast and efficient it spreads. I don't think we will ever be able to stop it, honestly. But what we can do is make it a part of our meals in the spring and share its potential as a food with others. That's all I have for you guys today. Please, please, please share this episode with your family and friends. Share it in social media. Also, make sure you hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can either find an awesome subscribe page on my website, which is www.theyearofplenty.com. Or if you go to my Instagram or Twitter, my Instagram is at Poldi Wieland and the Twitter handle is the Year of plenty. Uh In the bio, you'll find a link that takes you to all the subscribe links for all the platforms, so it's super easy. You can also you know just grab your friend's phone, your mom's phone, or your grandpa's phone, and just you know hit the subscribe button for them. Finally, if you like this episode and you could learn something from it, please leave a five star review in your podcast app. This is just gonna let new listeners find a podcast and also allow the podcast to get ranked and this way. More foodies like you and me can join us in exploring all these foods and food processes. Also, I just want to say thank you to anyone who takes time out of their day to listen to these episodes, and I've been getting great feedback from you guys, so please keep that up. That's really going to allow me to, you know, make the show better and make sure that I'm giving you guys some value. Thank you for listening. See you soon.